Welcome to Being Better Podcast, where we explore the things that make us happier, wiser, and healthier people. Hi, my name is Julia, and I am your host. Every week, I take a concept, a technique, or a story to learn how it can make us better. I hope that this show can help you become the person you've always wanted to be. So, here we go. How's it going? And welcome to the Being Better podcast. My name is Julia and my job on this show is to find and discuss all the ways in which we can become happier, wiser and healthier. On my solo episodes, I do that by explaining scientific studies or experimenting with different practices. But as you might have noticed, I also do interviews with various experts and people from all walks of life to learn from their stories and experiences. And today, my guest is Zara Biobani. Zara is a blogger and environmental activist and a CEO of her startup in the loop that's supposed to make sustainable fashion more accessible to people with all kinds of budgets. She has built a large community of people on various platforms and is focused on educating them and lifting up every member of that community to fight climate anxiety and depression and also motivate them toward action. She calls herself a climate optimist and every week on her Instagram you can find Good News Fridays, which are videos in which she shares a bunch of good news regarding the environment and our society. So in this episode you will hear our discussion about the importance of climate optimism and also how to establish that positive mindset regarding the future of our planet. And we also talked about sustainable fashion and how to recognize greenwashing, which describes disinformation and manipulation of fast fashion brands that are trying to make you think that they are quote-unquote green. Then we also discussed climate justice and the importance of giving indigenous communities voice in the climate discussion and among many other important topics we talked about common misconceptions regarding ways in which we can become more sustainable because there might be things we put too much emphasis on that actually are not that effective and also things that we are completely missing. So to learn about all of that, tune into this lovely conversation with Zara. Okay, so Zara, it's so nice to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming. And how has been your day so far? Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to to speak with you. Um, my day has been pretty good, pretty normal, just getting back on track um, with my work schedule on a Sunday. So um, yeah. You have been uh, at the New York Fashion Week recently, right? Yeah, yeah. Last weekend I went there. Um, it was kind of a last minute trip. Um I guess things, I was, it was my first fashion week and I didn't really know that things tend to be very last minute with that. Um, so it was kind of a little bit unexpected, but it was really great. Um, I had a wonderful time and it was yeah, overall good experience. I think it's, it's a nice, uh, it's nice to see how it change. It's like this fashion industry is changing and it's more inclusive and the environment discussion is something that people have more now and, and talk about um, how the choices we make when it comes to the things we put on our bodies really make a difference. So I think I really, I really like to see um, that space evolving, I guess. Um, but... Uh, to start this conversation, I want to also move on to my personally uh, favorite segment, which is the recommendation of the week, um, in which I ask the guests and just, you know, the people that I admire, to be honest, uh, what social media they consume or basically media, what things they watch or listen to, just to understand what makes them tick and what made them into the people they are. So if you can recommend something that you have been reading or listening to or watching lately, what would that be? Yeah, so um, I've been really loving the book Project Drawdown um, by, I think the main editor is Paul Hawken, um, but it's a nonfiction book. It's like kind of like a coffee table book almost with the compilation of the top um, 100 solutions to the climate crisis. And it it's very uh, solutions oriented and it 
really parses through um, the major ways that we can combat the climate crisis and what efforts are being made within those categories. So um, it's been it's all it's always a great book to reference, and I just like having it around me in my space um, for whenever I need like a boost of positivity um, or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's a great thing to have, especially for those times when you just feel like when you lose our hope and you don't know what to do anymore because you feel like what more can I do and sometimes you just don't realize that there actually are a couple of small ways uh, in which you can be more sustainable so I think having that guidebook next to you at all time is it's just it seems like a nice thing to have exactly so I'm gonna link that in the episode description for anyone interested so you have an easy access to that as well as every kind of thing, every link when it comes to Zara's Instagram or website, you can check that out in the episode description. And mm. now let's move on to all those goodies on my, all my questions. And I want to start at the beginning and ask you how has your journey with environmental activism started and what first got you involved in that? Yeah, sure. So, um... I would say that it was a couple of different things, but I was really into um, health and wellness and I came across veganism um, and upon learning about veganism, I learned about the environmental impacts that switching to a plant-based diet had on the earth and then I didn't realize a lot of the problems that we were facing were the magnitude that they are and I didn't realize um, how we can make an impact, but learning more about veganism really uh, unearthed that for me. And then on a separate side, I've always really been passionate about human trafficking, like, you know, solving and abolishing uh, human trafficking. So um, I was really interested in learning how our consumer choices can either, you know, support labor trafficking or um, help eradicate labor trafficking. And once I really learned about our consumer purchases, I learned that it wasn't just this human side of it, like who's making your products and how are they getting, how are they getting paid and compensated and treated, but also what is the lifetime impact of the product, um, how its construction and ultimately disposal and usage impacts the environment. So I began to think of that in a more not just human side, but also like environmental side. And then I realized that all these things that I, I was really passionate about were very interconnected um, and all fell under the realm of environmentalism and human rights um, and that those two things were very interconnected. So I would say that's kind of how it all started. Somewhere in like 2016, I would say, um, it really started coming together. Um, and then since then, it's just been... A process of, of learning and unlearning and, and building and um, trying to better understand things so I can hopefully have a have a positive impact on the planet. Yeah, I love how you said that it's also a process of unlearning mm-hmm. and realizing that a lot of the things that we have been taught are not really supporting us and supporting the planet. What are some of the things that you had to unlearn in yeah. that process? That's a really good question. Um, I would say... Um, my understanding of like development as always being construction of something and building something new. I think that's still the popular conception behind what development is, but I think development should mean, you know, making things better and more sustainable. And um, that doesn't always involve like constructing and building something new. It oftentimes can mean reverting back to the ways things were originally done in a more sustainable manner and taking lessons from communities and people who have been doing those things in in those old quote-unquote old um, ways. So really thinking about what development means and looks like and what its ultimate impact is on the planet and its people. I would say is one major thing for me. It's so interesting that you mentioned that because I have just recently, I think like today I've been listening to a podcast where they talked about how people are scared of subtraction Mm -hmm. and that we are scared. We we, like our first instinct is to to add when it comes to improving 
it's like we always think that we need to add more things and and you know there's been like an experiment where there was like a lego construction and uh, the participants were asked to improve it and no one thought about removing some pieces would what would actually make the construction better mm. but they all only thought about adding and i think it's so interesting that sometimes what we need is less and yeah. sometimes what we need to kind of get back to our roots and get back to the simple ways that we have been you know working with nature for centuries and centuries and i think it's so interesting and something that we need to actively make ourselves do like think about yeah coming back to those roots i think it's so so interesting yeah absolutely that's a really interesting uh framework that you mentioned in in that podcast about like subtracting i i've never really thought of it in that kind of yeah. way i think it's even called like subtraction bi- bias and oh, i like it's a psychology term and i i think i'm gonna like really research it more and kind of maybe make an episode about it we'll yeah, see that'd be cool. um and you decided to study environmental science, right? Yeah. What, so, what made you decide that? Yeah. So, I'm studying environmental sociology and then earth and environmental science. So, I guess wrapped up would just be environmental studies. Um, I decided to study it because it was definitely the area that I am um, most passionate about and could and want to be working in. Um, I don't think that necessarily means like being an environmental scientist, but I think having that knowledge um, is really good to inform any career that I want to bring sustainability and environmentalism into. Um, And I really like the program. I really love learning about this stuff. So it's been really great. And do you think learning about the climate from like an academic standpoint provided you with knowledge that you think you wouldn't get in other places or you wouldn't get if you did not decide to to choose this academic path I think it um yeah in some ways definitely I think it has made me a more effective communicator um in terms of talking about the climate and climate change so that's really beneficial especially for like what I do now um and I'm really thankful to have gotten receive that education because I know it's definitely a privilege. Um, I don't think it's necessary to study environmental studies, even if you want to work in sustainability. But for me, I um, it was just something that I wanted to do. Yeah, because right now your career is focused on your platforms on social media, right? And your mm-hmm. blog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and um, I have a startup that's um, invo- it, regarding sustainable fashion. So it's not environmental science at all, but I definitely think the, yeah. the lessons learned from my curriculum has helped me. Yeah, I really love um in the loop that's your start right yes yes i think it's like i really like the idea um can you speak more about that what was like how is it started and how what do you what are your hopes uh with that company yeah for sure so i can't say so much yet unfortunately but um basically the main point in the loop is seeking to address is the um barriers, specifically financial barriers to access um, that inhibit people from supporting sustainable and ethical fashion brands. So basically bringing down those barriers, financial barriers, size barriers, and style barriers so that people are able to support these brands that align with their values. Um, So just how we're doing that, we are going to be announcing the next few months, but um, we're really excited about it. And hopefully the the beta test with um, 40 people, 40 subscribers, which gives a hint at, as to what it is, um, will be launching in, in early 2022. Okay, I'm really excited for that because <laughs> I think, you know, when it comes to ethical fashion, if you cannot afford it, you can, you know, you can always buy secondhand, but I know that a lot of people do not like just buying used products or just the process of searching for stuff when it comes to buying secondhand that's really it's it's not great especially for people who are already busy and for all those business women who you know have um, really need professional clothes and and really do not want to spend a lot of time searching for them I think it's a great way to to 
you know, use in the loop and on other types of um, brands. Like, the, although I, I have to be honest, I haven't heard about anything of the sort, any sort of startup that would kind of break that barrier of of um, of that. Um, I guess budget. I think it's it's like one of a kind. So I think it's gonna be a great thing. I'm definitely gonna um, keep that and look for the news. Thanks, Julia. Yeah, we're very excited and very open to like input um, from from anyone who's interested in this area about what their main pain points are with sustainable and ethical fashion. So if you or, or any of your listeners have any um, pressing concerns, feel free to reach out to me because we definitely want to make a service that helps the most people as possible. Yeah, awesome. And how would you describe what's like the process of starting your own business? Would yeah. say that is stressful or kind of rewarding? Yeah, it's so interesting. I, it's it's very fast paced and very like all over the place um, in terms of tasks and delegations and just day to day I feel like I'm jumping all over the place at times but it's really refreshing to be reminded of like the reason this is starting and the people we want to be serving um so I think especially in these initial stages it's been rewarding to have that idea validated by people who are searching for something like what we are providing um and it's just exciting to think about how this can hopefully um help others and kind of be be another force within um an industry that desperately needs uh to be pushed towards environmentalism yeah Yeah. exactly yeah it definitely needs an evolution and revolution yeah. i'd say it's a better word mm-hmm. to describe that mm-hmm. um and i really like that when we started talking about sustainability when it comes to fashion because i think it is something that we are talking more about and more and more people are realizing what fast fashion is and that some of the brands that you know and love are actually not you know they're not part of an industry that you want to support and I still think even though we talk about it so much I still think it's hard not to be manipulated by those fashion giants who are trying to make you think that they are sustainable and that they are making those choices and having sustainable lines like you know the H&M conscious line Mm -hmm. it's just like one of the examples of greenwashing of fast fashion companies wanting to make you believe that they're actually ethical so can you give us advice especially because of your experience in this whole industry about how we can recognize greenwashing and become better at kind of having a like a differentiating the ethical and non-ethical businesses yeah I love this question so um I would say maybe dividing it into I'll I'll give you like three kind of easy steps or questions to ask so the first thing like you just mentioned the H&M conscious line is if a brand uh, a company is coming out with like a a line that is supposedly different from the rest of their collections um and they market that as like being better or more sustainable um it just goes to show that they're doing it because they want to see if this line is more profitable. They're, they're, they're not trying to revolve their business around it. And that's what's really needed is um, brands that are revolving their business around sustainability and ethical manufacturing along with style and, and what they're bringing that's new to the table. Um, so I think that's a big red flag if a brand has just like one-off collections or lines that they advertise as being better. Um, the second thing is kind of one of my favorites to talk about because I think it's not talked about a lot, but if a brand is emailing you like all the time um, about like sales <laughs> and like new drops and different collections, like brands should be, inc- truly sustainable brands should be encouraging you to buy less and buy better. Um, and hopefully they are the the better option, but they shouldn't be encouraging you to just keep going to their website, keep buying more, um, 
I think that's a big red flag and a yeah, good way that's to. That's so interesting, right? I mean, I've never really thought about that, but yeah. yeah, you're right. Like, if brand if a brand is sustainable, they are not. They shouldn't ask you to keep buying and buying every week and send you that newsletter every day that you know we have sales. And yeah, I think sales also might not be like a great thing so i really have never really thought about that that's so interesting yeah and like it's really easy to just check your inbox and see like how many have i gotten from this brand in like a month and if it's like more than one a week which is kind of a lot in the first place then i think that's a good sign and then thirdly i would say um their transparency if if they use big words on their website like sustainability without really backing it up with any um claims uh goals or actionable steps items that they have taken i think that's a red flag because um you know it's easy to just see those words and be like oh yeah they're good but like it's important to try to understand what it means for each brand because sustainability is a really big term and it means a lot of different things um and it can mean very little to some brands who are just throwing it on there um to slap on Uh, and greenwash yeah. their their brand. So I think those those three tips would probably be my biggest to identify greenwashing. Yeah, thank you so much for that advice. And yeah. I think it's so important that you said that you know sustainability is like a big word that everyone is throwing around um, these days. And I'm curious, what does sustainability mean to you personally? And do you think that we should replace it with an, a different word that it has become a buzzword? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. And I so I, I guess to the first question, I think sustainability represents um intentional care for um our resources on this planet, both the ones that are, you know, limited resources and those that we perceive are like unlimited resources. Um intentional care for those and for the future generations that are to come on this earth um and their well-being and in their in their environment so um i, yeah, think, I think it's a lovely definition thanks i just came up with it on the spot <laughs> um, but to your to your question about should we change what we use i think i think it's definitely become a buzzword but i honestly think that any term that we would replace it with would also become a buzzword um So I think it's up to consumers and individuals to really uh, define what it means for themselves and how it is going to play a role in their lives and their um, day-to-day actions, lifestyle choices, and uh, consumer choices. And I think from there, we can help define it as a collective for brands and corporations and governments to really emphasize like what we want and what we mean by sustainability and creation care and environmentalism yeah i mean i recently read an article in which the author talked about that we should replace sustainability with regeneration and mm. kind of rebuilding and i think it's interesting because you know sustainability means sustaining what we already have mm -hmm. and kind of um doing what we used to be doing but doing it long term um but regenerating means kind of finding something else and kind of building what we what we destroyed and starting to do something better um and like you said i think i agree with that we it's probably not productive to change the word that we use uh first of all because it probably is going to become another buzzword But then I think like right now, because of our society wanting to become more open and more di more diverse and more inclusive, we are really careful with the words that we use. And on one hand, that is great um, that we are trying to not use, you know, adjectives like insane mm -hmm. or 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 stuff like that that i i never thought that were uh, bad before yeah. but now i'm trying to kind of catch myself even though i'm not good at it um but i think on the other hand it's like a bit maybe we're a bit too sensitive i think to the words and we are 
focusing too much on the words but not on the actions and we are trying to make sure that we use the right words to describe this community or this minority but not really making sure that we have the right actions with that community and and really supporting them uh, with the things that we actually do and not say so I guess that's that's difficult yeah I I totally agree with that I re- I too like the word like regenerate I, I like the concept of like regeneration and emphasizing that um, I think these are helpful like concepts to think about sustainability within but I think, uh, like you said, you know, sustainability is, is as a term, something that has become a buzzword. And there, there is a little bit of benefit to that, I think, because more people are familiar with the concept. Um, I think, though, there needs to be like a more robust and nuanced understanding. And, and ideas like regenerate, regeneration help to really round that out and help people understand like the actual totality of what it means to be more sustainable yeah for sure um I know that you describe yourself as a climate optimist which I love and I really also love that you each Friday you record a reel with a just collection of good news um regarding the environment and and other just good things that happen and I really love that um and I am curious how did you come up with the idea and it and have you always been a climate optimist or or was it like a conscious conscious decision to have a, a more positive mindset or just that you have always been more optimistic I would say um honestly after studying this in school for so long and also having so much of my personal life be like reading books about it and doing work, you know, my social media work regarding it. I found myself like quite easily burnt out by these, by what I was reading and hearing and seeing and realized that in order to sustain the work that I really wanted to do, I had to develop or embody like a new um, frame of, of reference basically of how I viewed what I was reading and digesting. So that's how I came upon climate optimism. And I think it really just means that um, I'm very like solutions oriented when it comes to um, learning about uh, what we can do to help mitigate the climate crisis and help the planet and its people. Um, And that I think has really helped me um, in sustaining my work and reviving my passion for this work because I think if you don't have a sense of optimism in this space it's easy to be like oh we're just doomed and what's the point of doing this anyways um (laughs) yeah and there's a lot of that I can relate with that exactly and it's not like I definitely fall into that um a lot of the time I just think the climate optimism is a helpful way for me to reorient myself and and have hope for what people are doing right now and what I can do right now to help build a better future yeah and how do you deal with that climate anxiety Mm -hmm. where when you feel like you know we are doomed or when you just feel unmotivated or powerless or like nothing that we are doing all the efforts are not making any any change um what do you how how can you uh, manage that yeah um so I typically turn off the news turn off like any new sources that are giving me kind of this this feeling because I know the facts you know and I think people who are involved in this space are passionate about the environment like we know the facts and we know how imminent this our our need to act is so sometimes we don't need to read the facts like we don't need to reread all of the statistics um so I, I turn those new sources off. I typically look for good news, which is why I really appreciate, um, you know, I, I know that the Good News Friday segment is really helpful for others, but it's also helpful for myself because I have to go out and search for the, these positive news stories, which is really great. So um, I would say those two things. And then also doing a hobby that is not related to environmentalism I feel like because so much of my life and school and career is like focused on that it can be hard to um, detach myself from it so I try to like 
really just do a hobby that's really unrelated to the environment um or do a hobby that's like hiking that's that's in like serene you know spaces that can give me some sort of recharge so those would say I would say are like kind of my four go-tos when I'm feeling overwhelmed by like climate anxiety yeah it's like nice to have those four points next to you and like on a post-it note to kind of look at that and and go through them I think it's it's a good thing to uh, remember Um, like with my climate anxiety I think as well it's like I need to rethink where I am because my climate anxiety is really correlated with um, the amount of pollution and just the type of mindsets of, and of people that I'm surrounded by if if those are people who care about the environment or yeah. not it's like if I'm in a place that it's polluted and it's like awful and people don't care and and I see trash everywhere and it's like it's like then I really can become anxious mm-hmm. and angry or or all those kind of negative emotions um so kind of then taking myself on a hike or yeah. or on a swim or on a run it's kind of it's it it's it really changes my mindset and kind of gives me hope that not all is lost yeah. and there are still places that are not touched by human hand and I, it kind of gives me hope i guess exactly. um and recently i've also been thinking about like at the end of the day you have to make a decision if you are going to be miserable, if you're going to think we are doomed, then there's nothing we can do to change it. Or you can think about that there is still hope and there's still uh, ways we can improve our situation. And it's like when you compare those two choices, it's like the one is basically infinitely better because like what's the point of thinking that we are all doomed and it's like sitting in your misery mm-hmm. uh, it's like you know what you're gonna suddenly just stop everything that you're doing you're gonna i don't know have like a meat party and just eat sausage every day <laughs> um or it's like being hoping that we can actually do something and even if it's lying to yourself it's just more productive yeah. it's just like it's better it's better to it's like from a it's like utilitarianism it's mm-hmm. like it's better it just makes more sense to even lie to yourself that we still there there's still hope because if you if you believe that there's still hope you're gonna do things that actually can make a difference Absolutely. so if you if you have those two choices it's like mathematically better mm-hmm. to believe that there are still ways to work against it I totally agree and like at the very least like you said even if it's like a lie like people's lives will be improved if they have some sort of hope you know so yeah it just makes it just makes life worth living in you know otherwise you're just gonna fall into doom so I totally agree. Yeah, from my logical standpoint, it just makes more sense yeah. to be happy and to kind of just live and get out of... It's like, we all know that we're going to die someday, but it's like, there's no point in sitting and waiting in your bed until you die. Yeah. It's And also, again, if you believe that you're going to... Like, the planet is going to be doomed, then still, it's better to kind of keep that in the back of your head and mm-hmm. actually do things and wake up every day and actually, you know, work uh, to be happy or to make other people happy. It's just yeah. makes sense. It's, it's like logical exactly. to be an optimist, I guess. Yeah. And I really love that you put so much work into that. Thank you. And I'm also curious about um, your community how you you know you started um using all those platforms i i suppose a lot of years ago and i'm curious if if that also has motivated you or like the online um you know social media stuff more is more like giving you climate anxiety or making you overwhelmed or actually motivating you to keep pushing uh, because there are two sides of social media and I think it's kind of hard to balance that. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. I think, um, yeah, I definitely have um, understood the impact that it, it can have, social media can have on 
adding to climate anxiety just the very nature of like these apps and media sources and the headlines that attract people um so I think that once I um identified that and started kind of cleansing my feed of like sources that were either unhelpful to me in terms of mitigating those those feelings of climate anxiety um I realized what I wanted to do and, and the kind of communications that I wanted to to convey to to my audience. Um, and so I think now um, I have I there's a lot of other creators that focus on um, not just the doom and gloom, which I really appreciate. Um, and I think seeing the feedback from my community on on this kind of climate optimism, um, framework has been really beneficial to to really get that feedback and understand that this is something a lot of people actually need that hasn't really been out there that much um, and so I think it's it's been really great to to get that feedback and also learn from my experiences in 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 the social media space which of course are oftentimes kind of toxic yeah I think like the power of social media and the influence that it has on you is also up to you kind of because it's like at the end of the day you have the power to curate your content mm -hmm. and your feed um, and what pops up on Instagram and the accounts you follow and I mean I I don't know why it has been hard for me to unfollow those accounts which I know are kind of toxic and are mm -hmm. making me not always like sometimes they make me feel good and motivated and sometimes they make me feel bad about myself mm -hmm. um but for some reason I don't know I it's kind of hard for me to unfollow all the accounts I, I unfollowed most of them mm -hmm. um but there are still some accounts that I know are a lot of the times are not making me feel great but for some reason I don't I can you relate to that at all yeah I think especially if I am nervous that they will like see or like oh, yeah. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings but at the end of the day I think it is important to if if something isn't adding to your life I guess it, it's kind of points back to the point we were talking about in the beginning about like the subtraction and the addition in this case it's like if yeah, people aren't adding exactly. value to your life then there's no point in in engaging with them yeah and I'm curious apart from you know climate optimism do you think there are other changes in our mindsets that are necessary to make this fight for sustainability more sustainable long term yeah and how can we make sure that we are not burnout? out um, do you think we can do anything more to kind of change that Yeah, that's a good question again. I think that another necessary mindset change is maybe like um, that the individual change and systemic change are not separate, but they actually are very much intertwined. And your choices as an individual, even if you don't have a social media page with followers, like you have influence on people. And so your actions and... Um, your actions as an individual do have an impact but at the same time it's nuanced because you don't have as much power as like governments and corporations so your individual action is needed but like systemic action is also needed so um the the two aren't separate and I think that a lot of times people separate the two to uh kind of divert the blame um which the blame is on, you know, institutions and, and governments and corporations, but blaming, pointing fingers doesn't do anything. Um, it's pointing fingers and acting upon that that actually does things. So I think that's definitely a necessary um, mindset shift that I think a lot of people need. Yeah, and speaking of that, uh, when it comes to systemic change, I know that 
gender equality and racial equality are both incredibly important when it comes to avoiding the climate crisis. Um, so can you talk a bit about climate justice also and what can I and the listeners do every day or just as often as we can to play our part in, in fighting for climate justice? Yeah, so um, climate justice, I guess, to um, maybe sum it up, is, is the idea that climate change is disproportionately affecting different people um, and it disproportionately affects those who don't contribute to it as much as others um, because of these systems of inequalities that have been in place for you know centuries um, so climate justice is l looking at um, the consequences of climate change and the solutions to climate change from a uh, a holistic and intersectional lens um, where we're not seeing racial issues and uh, racial injustices and gender violence and sexual discrimination as separate from the climate crisis but actually very much um, intertwined and finding solutions that can um, help mitigate all of those different intersecting um, problems. And so I think one way to um, kind of get into climate justice efforts is to start and um, dissect the different, the different, wh whatever you're really interested in, you, I think there's space to understand climate justice there. So like even if you're, maybe you're really interested in healthcare, um, climate justice in healthcare is like there's an uneven amount of um, children who are uh, people or you know children of color that are born with like asthma or other um, medical conditions like that that are a result of um, their mothers in in living in areas that have high amounts of pollution because there have lower socioeconomic statuses and, and all those different kind of generational things. So whatever you're interested in, I think there's climate justice is in every single area. So I think one way to start is by going deep into what, what you maybe want a career in or what you're really interested in and finding out how climate justice operates within that area. Yeah, I think this whole topic makes me mad and angry but I think in a good way because I've been you know with my climate anxiety I was thinking I, I kind of stopped myself at some point and stopped feeling guilty and stopped feeling that I need to do more um, because you know we are seeing all those different um extreme weather conditions and I was kind of feeling like oh I, I should do more and it's you know I've, I I took that plastic bag with me and I uh, bought something in a plastic container and it's just I'm the worst and I don't I realized like stop Julia this mm -hmm. doesn't make sense and I, sometimes you, you have to realize that it's not fair to put all the pressure on the consumers and it's like we mm -hmm. were born as young people we were born into the system that was already fucked up Mm -hmm. And it's not fair to feel like you need to do all the work mm -hmm. and we need to demand uh, systemic change because this is just a problem that has roots that, you know, kind of reach centuries and centuries ago. And I, I, I really am mad and I sometimes am feeling like kind of I know what to do when it comes to like my individual actions, but it's kind of it kind of feels hopeless when it comes to changing the governments and changing that system. Um, so I'm really curious if you have any kind of advice when it comes to also getting angry and demanding that systemic change and how uh, we can do that if we don't have platforms mm -hmm. that are you know have huge following yeah. and if you are just a small um, just person in the whole society yeah i would say just like join organizations um community organizations grassroots organizations that are revolved around climate justice um obviously during the pandemic it's been harder to really get into community but online community is still better than nothing um so i would say join the, these organizations that have tangible goals that they're working towards because um 
being angry and letting out your feelings is very important, but it's also important to like follow that with like actions that are going to help you feel like you're making a difference in something that you care about. So finding these organizations and being a part of a, a larger effort is something that I think is really beneficial for you, for you, you know, as, as an individual and also like the larger movement. Do you have any organizations that you could recommend and, and kind of share with us? Yeah. Um, so these are both of these, I mean, okay. So one that's global is like Fridays for future. Um, that's like a, a global organization. Um, and they do climate strikes and, and mobilizations. And then in the two that I like closely know of in, in the U.S. are Sunrise Movement. They focus a lot on like um, working with representatives and pushing them towards more aggressive climate action. Um, and then there's the CCL, the Citizens Climate Lobby, um, which is, again, a, more political. They work um, across party divisions to um, to advocate for legislation and measures that would help create a more habitable environment. So those are three that I can think of. Again, sorry, I only don't know of that many um, international ones. Yeah, I think you can Google them for sure when it comes to like, you know, environmental activism um, organizations uh, in your country I think you will definitely find something that seems like something you could be a part of I really I mean thank you so much for those recommendations yeah, when it comes to all the things that you talked about I'm gonna also leave them in the episode description for anyone to have an easy access to that and you know it's like I think it's so important to talk about how you know there are communities which are suffering from the this climate change but they it's like not not their fault they have not done anything they were just minding their own business for years and years and now they are suffering and usually those are indigenous communities mm. all around the world and i'm curious if you think that there's just like this solidarity between this climate movement and indigenous rights movements and how we can kind of invite those indigenous communities to that climate discussion and also learn from them I don't know if you have any experience with that um, but I just am so curious if you know how how we can kind of like we talked about earlier subtract and kind of get back to our roots yeah. and learn from this ind these indigenous communities um so yeah yeah I think it really begins with like giving them a seat at the table it's really good to hear I mean the the IUCN which is um I believe like kind of part it's part of the like the UN's conference of parties they um but it's it's focused specifically on conservation. Um, they just gave um, indigenous groups the rights to um, attend attend this conference as like as tribal organizations, um, where previously they were under some other different category that made it difficult for them to actually participate and use their voices. That's such a good news. Yeah. Like I'm really yeah. happy about that. Yeah, seriously. Um, so I think it starts with like things like this, like and then also like at the you know the upcoming COP like having these groups have sovereignty and their individual and communal voices be heard um i think is really important um and really it all starts with like giving people platforms that they deserve um so i think that's that's definitely something that is going to be prioritized more, or should be prioritized more within the climate justice movement. I'm really, I'm like thinking about all those little things, like for example, the use of different materials, like we can actually make bricks from fungi. Mm -hmm. We can, you know, create clothes and build with hemp. Mm -hmm. And those are things that those indige indigenous communities, they have known this for centuries mm -hmm. and they've been using them definitely for all this time. And we can learn so much from them. And I think it's just so important to think about that and those different solutions that we as people in the modern society do not really think about and have hard time just 
thinking of new solutions when it comes to like those more eco-friendly natural ways we can work with nature and not against it i guess exactly yeah i totally agree i think like you have said about the good news about those indigenous people um, that have been giving given voice and a seat at the table. And I'm curious, since you also you have to do this research when it comes to good news every week, what are some of the best news that stuck with you um, recently and really gave you hope in the past, I don't know, year or a couple of months ago? Or just what are some good news that you can share with us that can motivate us yeah that's a good question um i would say most recently um harvard university which is like the richest university in the world um committed to divesting from fossil fuels um and permanently or not investing in any new fossil fuels and also um phasing out their current fossil fuel investments so that's like really major especially because there's a huge movement for um getting universities on board to do that since they have such a huge portfolio um any like legal wins i think is really cool um like there was this incident that shell paid 111 million dollars to a nigerian community in damages for a pipeline that was ruptured in um, 1970 oh that's awesome yeah like really i i think the the legal rulings are always so excited because it's always comes with like for the communities that like filed this, you know, the plaintiffs like such a sense of like validation that their their struggles were real and now they have at least some sort yeah. of compensation for them. Um and then uh anything related to again like indigenous nations, um the Canadian government a little bit ago gave almost 8 billion dollars to the First Nations to fix um the water quality problems they were facing. Um so that kind of news is always also like really really encouraging yeah it's really nice to see those people especially you know those companies when it comes to like oil and petroleum it's nice to see that they are um, I mean a lot of the action that they do it's just to show that they do something or or mislead you or manipulate you but sometimes I think it's like nice to give them the benefit of the doubt and kind of be happy that there are yeah. they are doing something and and appreciate that there is change and even if there is not no change it's like the discussion is is there and that they are even thinking that there is this need and I think even if like there is a good part in greenwashing and it's that um there is more pressure mm -hmm. through greenwashing we uh, we are just showing that these are qualities and these are virtues that we are appreciating in our society and therefore we are cre creating more pressure. So I think even that is, is so important. Yeah. I think my last question is I want to ask you what do you think are the most common misconceptions regarding the sustainable changes that we can make and do you think that there are some things that we are not thinking a lot about and we should think about more and also do you think that there are just things that we put too much pressure on and that actually do not uh, matter that much and we are just overstating mm -hmm. I would honestly like go back to the point about like individual versus systemic change um, I think like the biggest misconception that's detrimental to the movement is that the two are separate things and um, only one is needed. I think one informs the other, then individual change and advocacy informs the systemic change. Um, and so I think that's definitely something that um, if, if fixed, I think could really make a big impact um, on on the planet and its and its people yeah that's awesome i think like you said it's it's in all interconnected mm -hmm. and the way you can fight systemic change is through your individual actions and it's nice that there are things we can talk about when it comes to the change we are seeing in the society yeah. and 
I, I, I like being an optimist. So I think that this conversation with you has been such a nice way to kind of regain hope oh, and good. and be more motivated. And I really thank you for joining me and, and sharing all your knowledge. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Julia. Um, and it was really great to talk to you too about all these important things. Well, when it comes to all the things and all the places where the listeners can find you, where should they go if they want to learn more? Yeah, so um, on Instagram, it's soulful underscore seeds. And the startup is um, at rent in the loop. Um, and then my blog is soulfulseedsblog.com. Awesome. And before you part ways, do you want to... I don't know, ask something of the listeners or share a quote or kind of have any last piece of advice or anything of that sort that would like to say to the listeners directly? Um, I guess, yeah, it, it, again, to reiterate about the sustainable fashion and ethical fashion, but if you are interested in those two things and um, are passionate about making it more accessible and have any thoughts um, or concerns with it, I would love to hear those thoughts and concerns. Um, so you can totally email me at soulfulseedsblog at gmail.com and I would love to hop on a call with anyone to, to hear more about your concerns and how we can make the industry more accessible for all people. I really like that you put so much pressure on feedback. I think it's so important, especially when it comes to those um, minorities who normally do not have um, voice when it comes to right this, these discussions. Okay, my I promise my last last question. Oh, you're so it, It's just I am curious. Do you have any? person who motivates you who kind of like a role model mm. when it comes to all of those things regarding sustainability and someone that you look up to in all of this yeah definitely um I would say um well my favorite climate writer is Mary Elizabeth Hegler um I don't know if I'm saying her last name right but I am really <laughs> moved by all of her writings and um She's a great source of inspiration for me. And then my friend Catherine Kellogg, um, she definitely like inspired me in the way of climate optimism. And she's on Instagram as going zero waste. Um, and so I really am inspired by how she's able to stay positive and, um, and how she uses her platform. Well, awesome. I just think that role models are very important yeah. and really important in just right being hopeful and wanting to get better and wanting to improve in all of this I think it's so important so without yeah. keeping you here any longer I hope that you enjoyed this discussion and I'll yes. speak to you probably in a couple of seconds because you know then I'm gonna do the outro but yes see you then <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I have to be honest and say that usually a bunch of time passes after the interview and these little segments with just me talking. I like recording these interviews a little earlier and sometimes when it's time for me to record that other part that you are listening to right now, my memory of that conversation can become a little foggy. But this definitely wasn't the case with Zara because really a couple of things stuck with me and I kept thinking about them. And that is A, I keep coming back to the idea that climate optimism and also just optimism in and of itself is a choice. It is solely up to us to appreciate the good things in life and also just to have a more positive outlook. It's just up to us. And this is definitely something I want to work on because, like I said in the conversation with Zara, it just logically makes more sense to be an optimist. The ROI, if you will, is far greater than what you get when you are just awaiting the doomsday. And B, I really liked her advice on recognizing greenwashing and I will definitely keep those in mind for whenever... I'm just not sure if I can trust a company that is suddenly making these big claims that, you know, we are green now and we care about the health of the planet and we are so different than anyone else. And sure, I mean, it's nice to give the benefit of the doubt, but I think usually 
most of the time it's 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 greenwashing so i really am thankful to zara for giving us that advice and yeah that's it for the interview with zara thanks so much again for coming and now i want to move on to the inside of this week segment in which for anyone new here i talk about something that happened to me recently or something that i realized that i really want to share with you all and this week i want to talk about comparison because i think we all know that comparison is bad and it's detrimental to our mental health and that you know it's the thief of joy and all of that stuff but the thing is we as humans need to compare and our brain simply cannot work without that you cannot make sense of the world if you don't compare everything to each other for example you don't know if something is smooth if you don't touch something that's rough you cannot tell if someone is short if you haven't compared that person to people who are taller or shorter than they are. You don't know that you are happy until you compare it to the time that you were sad. And when it comes to more depressing examples, which are sad but are true, you cannot tell if you are rich if you don't compare yourself to others. And also you cannot decide if you are attractive if you don't compare yourself to people who are well, subjectively, but are more or less attractive. And as much as I think it's not good for our mental health to always compare ourselves to others, and even further than that, I think sometimes it's even harmful to compare to your own self. I think I used to be like, oh, I'm never going to compare myself to anyone else, but I can compare myself to my past self. But, you know, sometimes it's that I got worse at something, And actually, I was better at something in the past. And now if I compare myself to my past self, there is not a lot of improvement. And that can be harmful to my mental health and give me anxiety as well. So I think sometimes it's even it's even hard to compare yourself to your own self. But I still think it's not fair to say to anyone, just don't compare yourself. Because it doesn't work like that. Comparison is one of the most important tools in our cognitive toolbox without it it's impossible to understand and make sense of anything in the world we need comparison and I was thinking of that recently because I I realized that I have a problem with comparison I think more than the average person I think that through some stuff in my life and through my large ego and being super confident Sometimes I was met with people who thought different things about me and I was like met with reality that maybe I'm not as great as I think. And through that, I kind of became that person who needs other people's opinions to decide if I am an XYZ kind of person. So for example, I... It's hard for me to say that I am talented at something. Or for example, it's hard to, for me to say if I'm a good runner, if I don't get the opinion of someone or if I'm not able to compare. So I unconsciously compare myself, I think, a lot. And I know that it's not good and I'm working on not doing it. But I wanted to say that it's not that easy and it's not that every type of comparison is bad because comparison is not bad in and of itself as like like I said it's just a cognitive tool but I think what makes comparison bad is that we make judgments of ourselves and we are attached to how we end up looking through that comparison so I think instead of just not comparing ourselves I think we need to work on not attaching our sense of self-worth to these comparisons and realize that everything is actually relative I mean you can be a tall person based on the comparison to someone but if you compare it to someone who is you know the tallest person on earth then you realize oh actually I'm I'm pretty short so I think the answer here especially for me is that it's not that I shouldn't compare myself, but realize that what does it matter 
if I am a fast runner and it doesn't matter if I am, you know, attractive. It doesn't matter if I am smart. It doesn't matter that all those things, those labels, they don't matter. And I cannot stop comparing myself. It's physically impossible to turn this mechanism off. So I should actually just work on realizing that whatever thing came out of that comparison does not define me and does not define if I am a worthwhile person. If I compare to someone and I think I am more attractive than them, that should not be the base of my confidence and my self-love. And also, if I compare to someone that is, you know, subjectively less attractive than me, that should also not be the base of my sense of self-worth. So I think I'm kind of repeating myself, but I really don't think that we should say that comparison is the thief of joy, because comparison is what makes us experience joy in the first place. I think what is the thief of joy is just drawing judgments from these comparisons and really, really caring about them too much. So that is my insight of the week. I hope that it was helpful to you and that you can apply it to your own life. If you can, if you have any thoughts about this, you can always let me know on Instagram or using our email. The Instagram is at beingbetter.pod and the email is podcast.beingbetter at gmail.com. I always respond and I am so happy to learn about your thoughts, your opinions and also what you think about the show. I think it's great to get feedback and I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. I love you so much. I think you are a great person and when you smile, you make the world a better place. So please smile for me and for yourself and for anyone that is around you because remember that smiling is very contagious and yeah, to sum all that up, I love you and I will speak to you in the next episode. edited and produced by Julia Spohr. If you want to learn more, visit the website attached in the episode description or visit our Instagram page, which you can also find in the episode description or at beingbetter.pod. If you want to support the show, there are a couple of ways to do that. The first one and the best one is to share the podcast with your friends and with your family. Tell them why you enjoy it and why they might enjoy it as well. You can also share it on your social media platforms. And another way to help the show is to write a review, rate or subscribe to the podcast because that helps new listeners find the show as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I will speak to you in the next one.